0: My name is Michael, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church and we're very excited to have you with us on this sunday morning and um so so everybody's not thinking about the pink elephant um Daryl had surgery, which is why he's doing this not because he wants more attention could be though really um but uh so we're very excited. That last week he was able to uh, just sit on the couch at the foundry and let people come to him, uh, you know, which is how he likes it. Come to me, uh, essentially. But uh, So we are um, in the second part, as Daryl said, of the W5 project, and this is teaching. And you may ask yourself, you know, don't you teach on a regular Sunday basis? Isn't that what you normally do? Yes and no. Um, there's a little bit of teaching that, that goes on. A, a lot of it is more application. Um, a lot of times the way pastors preach is they they look at a scripture and they pull something out of that scripture and say, okay, apply this to your life. And that's great and wonderful because, you know, this is the book, these are, this is the instruction manual that God gave us to live our life. So that that's great. But sometimes if you don't look a little deeper into things, you miss something amazing. If you don't take time to, to look at the context in which, one of the letters was written or one of the, the gospels was written. If you don't take time to maybe understand a little bit of Hebrew or Greek, then you miss something. If you don't understand what, what was going on at the time when Jesus says, if you just have faith like a, a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, go over there and the mountain will go over there. You know, what, what, what did that mean? Why was that so significant? And why did that blow the disciples' minds when he said that? Well, there's something going on in that time period that meant something to them. That was a story that they knew because it happened. And so it meant something. So if you don't take time sometimes to, to really dive into the text, you miss it. And so on these Sundays, what we wanted to do is maybe go a little deeper with things. And today what I chose to do is look at the book of Philippians, specifically chapter 4 in Philippians. Now... I want to give you a few backwards things here in Philippians chapter 4. The book of Philippians is written by Paul. And if you know anything about the New Testament, you know that Paul is credited with writing the majority, the vast majority of the New Testament. It's said that Paul has had more influence over the church because of his writings and his letters than any other of the disciples. Now, he wasn't one of the original 12, His conversion came in A.D. 33. Uh, If if you remember the story, Paul is uh, at this time known as Saul. He is walking on the road to Damascus. And what basically, let me, the background history of of Saul, there's a little depiction of him there. And these other three pictures of of what they think like Paul. The one in the middle is kind of freaky, isn't it? This is is a, a group of Germans. They got together and through computer technology and everything, and they came up with this is how he would have looked. Um, so apparently he had a receding hairline. Um, so maybe that was the thorn he kept talking about in his side was his hair. Um, so, so Paul was born in um, Tarsus, and Tarsus was in Asia, and it was known for its – the people there were known for being highly intelligent. It was, it, intelligence was very important there. He was a Roman citizen. Uh, this is very important, and it plays into his ministry very much throughout his ministry, that he was, in fact, a Roman citizen. He was also a Jew. It says in Scripture that he was a Pharisee, as were his fathers, which means at least his grandfather was a Pharisee. So there was a lineage there uh, that Paul was in the Pharisaical movement. Uh, he, his parents moved him to Jerusalem early on so that he could begin to study. It is believed that he probably knew Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic and uh, fluently and spoke all of those. He studied under Gamaliel, who was one of the teachers at the time, and he was, very, he was one of like the Ivy League uh, teachers. He, so if you were studying under Gamaliel, that was a big deal. And so Paul studied under Gamaliel and became a tremendously powerful Pharisee. He was the guy that they would send out to crack down. You know, the Pharisees were all about rules and laws, and they were all about following the letter of the law. And he was the guy that carried it out. He was their uh, enforcer, if you will. He was the big Italian that would show up with a baseball bat. You know, if things were going wrong, he would show up and things were going to be bad. Um, He was the one who was persecuting people who believed in the way, which is what they called Christianity at the time. Um, He was the one who would go around and persecute those people. Uh, And it, it wasn't until his... Conversion on Damascus, when Jesus appears to him and blinds him, his life totally changed. It was then that his life totally changed. And he became passionate, fervently out there pursuing Christ. As passionate as he was about that pharisaical way of life, it was turned completely on its end, and he served Jesus. And for the rest of his life, he exerted everything about him to tell people about Christ. You may wonder when he got the name Paul. Uh, Because if you read in Acts, he's known as Saul, and then somewhere along the way, they turn it into Paul. Well, Paul was part of his last name. Um, And also, there's an account of uh, a guy by the name of Sergius Paulus. Sergius Paulus was a Roman official who Paul brought to Christ. And it was believed that he kind of took that Paul name from also Sergius Paulus. But the reason he did, and why Paul, his Roman citizenship was so important, his background, he was an elite member of the society... It played into the way he preached to the Gentiles. Paul was more of a Roman name. Saul was a Hebrew name. If he was going to the places he was going, he would be more readily accepted as Paul than he would Saul. If you remember, there was a fight between Paul and Peter. Every so often they would get into little skirmishes about the Jews and the Gentiles. Paul's ministry was all about the Gentiles. That's not true. It wasn't all about the Gentiles, but he was heavily into converting the Gentiles because he believed Christ came to all. And if you remember, Paul talks, uh, saying I became, you know, there's neither slave nor free man, nor Greek, nor Jew, nor, you know, male, nor female. We, We are all, you must become everything to reach people for Christ. Now Paul's ministry carried him. He has three missionary journeys that are tracked throughout Acts and throughout his letters. And if you follow them, he goes over a long distance, the guy travels widely. Uh, the first place he touched in uh, in Europe was the city of Philippi. And if you got your Bibles open up to Acts chapter 16, and uh, next Paul and Silas traveled. I'm at verse six here. Traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had told them not to go into the province of Asia at this time. Then, coming to the brothers of Mysia, they headed for the province of Bithynia. But again, the spirit of Jesus did not let them go. So instead, they went through Mysia to the city of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. He saw a man from Macedonia and northern Greece pleading with him, come over here and help us. So he decided to leave for Macedonia at once, for we could only conclude that God was calling us to preach the good news there. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace. And the next day, we landed in Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi, a major city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we supposed that some people met for prayer. And we sat down to talk to some of the women who had come to gather. Now, a few things are important here. It says that Paul never, he was trying to go into Asia. They felt like they were moving into Asia, but he gets a vision calling him to Macedonia, Greece to go across the water and to get into Philippi. And if you look at this next one, there's a slide here. This will tell you where, wow, this will tell you nothing. Squint your eyes, everybody, see if you can read it. Um, Okay, so, so basically right here on the bottom right corner is Jerusalem, down there. If you go straight up, you will see Tarsus is kind of the name that's jutting off like that. Now, across the water, right here in the middle is Ephesus. And Ephesus, as we know, Paul spent a little bit of time there, got into some skirmishes there. Then across the Aegean Sea, if you look directly above me, where where I'm pointing, is Philippi. It's the very top black dot. Philippi, if you come down a little bit, you will have Thessalonica. Come down even more, Corinth and Athens are down at the bottom of Greece. And if you hop over to Italy, Rome is just right up there. There's not a dot for it, but it's right up there. So Paul traveled vast. Vast amounts of distances during his ministry, and he's hanging out in this side of the world, and he gets a vision from God to cross over the sea and go into Macedonia into Greece. Now, the city of Philippi uh, was a pretty important city to the Roman Empire. It was part of the Roman Empire. It was on the Via Ignatia, which was that the basically the freeway. For the Romans. It was where all trade went through. There were a couple of gold mines right outside and around uh, the city of Philippi. So it had a lot of wealth. There was a lot of intellect there. Uh, the majority of the people who were there were Roman. Um, there were some leftovers from the Macedonian empires, um, but there was a very, very small Jewish community. If you notice in, in the book of Acts there when, when Luke, where Luke is writing, he says, Uh, You know, so we actually, so we decided to go. So we we know from this that Luke went with Paul on this journey. But as they're there, they go to a riverbank. And the interesting thing about the way Paul's ministry worked is he would go into an important city. He didn't hit literally the small towns. He'd go into the important city because he believed that that would spread the gospel the quickest. So he'd go into these big cities, and his first attack would be to go to the synagogue. And to meet with the Jews there, or the Gentiles who were kind of looking at God, because a lot of times in synagogues there would be these Gentiles who would come in and had kind of a hunger for something more, and they were the ones who were most easily convinced about the gospel of Christ, because they already had that desire there. So so Paul would go into this place, but if you look, he doesn't go to the synagogue here because there wasn't one. So he goes to the river. Because in place of a synagogue, most times if there's a river nearby, that's where the Jews would have met. The next thing you might have picked up is that he met with the women that were gathered there. There were no men. A lot of people like to talk about Paul's belief on women and where a woman's place in the church is. If you really read Paul and understand Paul, you know that he had a high level of respect for women. That many of his churches including this one, were started by women. The first person who came to Christ in this area was Lydia. He brought Lydia to Christ, and then they went to her home. She was the first house church in Europe. So his belief about the theology of women and where they belong, Paul clearly, even though in another letter he says something about women be quiet, there's something that's going on there, and the reason why he said it, you have to know the context. But here Paul is clearly saying, ...that these women are starting this church here. So he goes into Philippi and uh, you can see some of the stuff that's going on there. And he writes the letter Philippians. Now, because this was his first church in Europe, he had a great heart and passion for them. The letter of Philippians is essentially a a love letter uh, written to the church in Philippi. He writes back to these people and he uses this, this language of such familiarity... He uses all these terms like, I long for you, I care about you, I, my heart yearns for you, things like that. He had a great passion for the people of Philippi. And, you know, we don't know why. They were the ones who consistently giving to him throughout his ministry. They were the ones who were consistently sending him stuff, so he, money so he could continue on in his missionary journey. But other than that, he just had kind of a special place in his heart for the city of Philippi and the church there. The letter was written from jail. This is one of his captivity letters. Uh, there's a lot of debate as to, as to where he was in prison at the time uh, because Paul was in prison a couple of times. Uh, he was kind of an ex-con that watched, walked around talking about Christ. Um, he was thrown in prison in Jerusalem, in Ephesus, uh, in Philippi. Uh, actually, if you remember the earthquake, he's thrown in jail with Silas, and then there's a big earthquake, and the jail's open, and the jailer starts to kill himself, but Paul's like, Dude, we're not going anywhere. We're right here. Um, and that guy comes to Christ right there and uh and then there's uh, his of course incarceration in Rome. Uh while the debate exists, it's pretty clear that this was a letter written from his pr- imprisonment in Rome. Um the first one. And it's there's a lot of there's he talks about the prelatorian guard, uh he talks about Caesar's house, so there's a lot of thick clues that that he gives you to point you towards that belief, but the fact is he he wrote it from Rome. So uh, Philippians chapter 4 and and I'm going to start in chapter 3 because The way we kind of put chapter numbers in the books of the Bible, you know, Paul didn't write this letter and say, chapter one, dear people, you know, and then chapter two, you know, you don't write letters like that. It's we put these things in there. So in in chapter three, it says, dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. I'm at verse 18. For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes. That there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross, of Christ. Their future is eternal destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. And all they think about is this life here on earth. But we, we are citizens of heaven. Citizens. Your citizenship was hugely important to you. If you were a Roman citizen, you had rights above everybody else. Paul is a Roman citizen, and he pulls that card a few times in his ministry. He goes, wait a minute, you can't do this, I'm a Roman citizen. Citizenship is hugely important, and you were a citizen of Rome if you were in the Roman Empire. But what he's saying there is, no, you're not. You're a citizen of God, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we eagerly are waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take these weak, mortal bodies of ours and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same mighty power. That He will use to conquer everything, everywhere. Dear brothers and sisters, I love you and long to see you, for you are my joy and the reward for my work or my crown. So please stay true to the Lord, my dear friends. He likes these people. I mean, He really like. I, I long to be with you again. I, I, you're you're my joy and my crown. My 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 Stephanos is what it is. The the phronesis, oh, I forgot, see I'm going out of order. Uh, phronesis is the word here um, that he uses right above in, in chapter 3. And it's, it's the mindset. It, it's taking a Christ attitude towards life. It's, it's putting on this, this belief system that everything I do is, is because of Christ. I think and act this way because of Christ. My phronesis is that of Christ. And he, and he says that right there at verse 3 that, you know, you think about this. Your mindset should be that of Christ's. That is your mindset. It's a Christ mindset. And then he comes down and that, he uses this in Philippians seven times, that phronesis word. It's very important to him that these people are living their lives for Christ. And then he goes in and he uses that, my joy and my Stephanos. Now Stephanos is uh, the, the Greek term for a crown or a wreath. And it was, you know, in the Olympic Games. The winner was given a Stephanos. You know, Paul uses a lot of uh, athletic imagery in his letters, especially in Philippians. Um, You know, so he either was a great athlete or he could have been a sports center anchor. Um, But he talks about this crown or a wreath that you get and It was highly, highly prized. If you saw somebody walking around with one of these things, they were either an incredible athlete or they were a a civic uh, official from a very high level who had done something meritorious enough so that Caesar gave them this award. What Paul's saying there is, is when I get to heaven, my crown, my Stephanos, the the thing that I will be most proud of is you. You are my crown. You are my reward. You are the thing when I get to heaven that I'm hanging around my neck. You know, they don't do the the wreaths anymore at the Olympic Games. They did in Athens, but they do gold medals, right? Remember that shot of Michael Phelps after the the last Olympics, and he's just standing there, and he's got those medals just plastered across him? What does that mean? It means the dude can rock in the pool, right? (laughs) I mean, nobody can touch Michael Phelps in the pool. He is the man. I don't know if you are Olympics fanatics like we are in our house. When the Olympics are on, we watch the Olympics like Nonstop. I will stay up late at night if it's in you know a foreign country, watching stuff. I remember a few years ago, watching riflery. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, why? You know, there's these guys that just sit there and they have these big. I don't know if you've ever seen it. They have these big leather suits that so they don't move. You know, I mean, it's like this real cumbersome thing, and they get and they shoot and it's target practice essentially, and they use twenty twos and so it's not loud. It's not like they're shooting at anybody, which would be bad but cool. Um, And, and, you know, so I'm sitting there and I'm watching this riflery competition and there's this American kid who I can't remember how old he was. He was like 20, 21 or something. And he was just like, he was the poster boy for this sport. He was everything about it. And and you know, when they bring out Bob Costas to tell you a story about somebody, you know, I I mean, that's the guy (laughs) you're watching this sport that you have no idea what it is really. You don't care about it. And then Bob Costas comes on and you're like, oh, this is going to be good. And Bob starts telling you a story. And from that moment on, you are the number one fan of riflery and this guy. You want nothing more in this world than for this guy to win the gold medal. You know, you're like, oh, gosh, he, man, he's worked so hard in his life. He used to dig ditches and he shot to survive. And now he transferred that into that. Oh, man, this is awesome. And, and he missed. He missed it. I mean, he's like just the greatest thing since anything. And he gets up. And all he has to do is hit the target. He doesn't have to hit a bullseye. He doesn't have to hit, ins- he just has to hit the paper. And he shot at the target next to him. I was crushed. I was just, I couldn't believe it. I sat, I, I think it was like two in the morning and I'm sitting there watching this. I'm going, oh, your whole life of training and you shot at the wrong target? Oh, you know that guy's just crushed inside. I mean, that's the your first time you hold a gun, you should hit the wrong target. You've been training your whole life for this moment. Here it is. You've got it. You have your Stephanos. I was crushed that he didn't get it, that he didn't get that gold. You know, it's something that you value so much, that you cherish so much. I was cherishing it for him. You know, Paul says that, To the people of Philippi, you are my crown. You are my Stephanos. In English, the name Stephen comes from Stephanos. And if you remember anything about Stephen from the text, Stephen was who? Throw it out there, anybody. What was Stephen's claim to fame? First martyr. Somebody say it over there? He was the first guy to die for Jesus Christ. First person to die for Jesus Christ. Isn't that kind of I don't know, kind of poetic? That was his crown. You know, as they're stoning him for claiming to be a believer in Jesus Christ, he sees a vision of God and he says, God, don't hold this against them. Stephanos, something amazing. You know, for, for the past many, many, many weeks we've in months we've talked about what the church is. You know, is the church a building? Is it these walls? Is it the programs that we do? Or or is it the people? Is, it maybe the, is, is maybe the church the thing that you hang around your neck? Is the church maybe the people that you are so deeply invested in their lives that their success matters to you? That when they fail or when they are down, you are hurt? I think that's the image that Paul is painting there. That This is what the church should be it should be stephanos these 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 crowns that that we put around ourselves and like i'm totally invested in your life and i care about you so deeply because we are together the body of christ who, who is it in your life that that you have hanging around your neck who is who is it in your life that you're so deeply in, invested in their life that that you care about their their successes and failures, that you're happy when they are and you're down when, when they are down. Who is it that makes up your body? For Paul, Paul says, you, you are the people that make up my body. You are my Stephanos. So please stay true to the Lord, my dear friends, he says. So please stay true to to that Phronesis, do not move away from that mindset of Christ. Now, what he's building up to here is is something interesting, because you can tell it's a, a friendly letter. Now, now the way that this would have happened um, when Paul sent this letter back to the people of Philippi from Rome is someone would have brought the the letter. Uh, we believe it was Epaphros, and he would have read the letter aloud. It wouldn't have been passed around from person to person to person they would have gathered together maybe in Lydia's house maybe somewhere else and they would have he would have read the letter aloud and so he gets to this part verse 2 and if if you are one of these two women you start squirming and now i want to plead with those two women Euodia and Syntyche you know at that time that Euodia and Syntyche are like what, what did, did you say my name <laughs> please By the way, Euodia uh, means it's from a a Greek god. So these are clearly Greek women because these are both Greek names. But Euodia means, um, uh, is it success? Yes. And Syntyche means lucky. Uh, they 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 were gods of success and luckiness, and they were named after those two gods. So, again, it's women. Women are important in his church. Please, he says, because you belong to the Lord... Settle your disagreement. Because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true teammate, my yoke fellow, to help these women. For they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. Now, the word yoke fellow there, some of you may have, I have in my translation, uh, my true teammate. Some of you may have um, yoke fellow is uh, the Greek word uh, and, or and what it means is yoke fellow, cohort, twin almost. Um, and there's a lot of debate. Uh, I read, I've, I've read over this past week, I don't know how many commentaries and different things about uh, two verses uh, that we're talking about essentially here. And there's a lot of debate about who Paul was talking to. Why? I don't know. Apparently biblical scholars have nothing better to do than sit around, who was his true companion? Who was the mystery shooter? And basically what they have no idea, but some people say it could have been Luke uh, because clearly Luke was in Philippi. Luke was not with him at Rome. Uh, It could have been that that Luke was back in Philippi uh, writing all the stuff that he was writing. And and he could have been saying, hey, Luke, my boy, um, take care of this. Uh, It it could be that um, it was a guy by the name of Sisychus. Uh, because that was, there were guys named Sisychus, so it could have been, you know, hey, hey Bob, uh, essentially. You know, Bob, take care of this. Um, or uh, some people, back in the 1400s, late 1400s, there became this big debate about whether or not it was Paul's wife. Um, and people were saying that it was Paul's wife, and and uh, and then that was quickly shot down. Uh, as John Calvin, a theologian, said, um, let me see if I can say it in his tongue, um, uni uli Oxy philippi, which means, why would Paul suddenly have a wife in Philippi? <laughs> you know, this is crazy. He never talked about a wife, and then all of a sudden he comes up with his wife. Um, it's clear that, that Paul wasn't married because he talks about that in many other instances. So who was this true yoke fellow? We don't know, but it was somebody he was connected to. He says, I ask you, my true yoke fellow, to help these women. He says, for they worked hard with me. They were part of the leadership spreading the gospel. We went around telling uh, that God would bring our weak, immortal bodies, take them away, and change them into these glorious new ones. We spent much time doing this, spreading the gospel, taking this message of Christ into a world that desperately needs it. Help them. He says, and they worked with Clement and the rest of you, whose names are written... In Sefer Chaim. Sefer Chayim, the book of life. the Sefer Chayim, this book of life is really important. This is a Hebrew, obviously. You can tell from our... But the, the, the Sefer Chayim, it, it was such a, a, an important part that even today during uh, the, the festival of um, uh, Rosh Hashanah and, uh, and Yom Kippur, what happens essentially during this festival in, in the Jewish life is uh, when, when Rosh Hashanah starts... You have 10 days to make your life worthy for God. You have these 10 days of repentance, the 10 days of repentance. And you're going through this time and you're apologizing to people and you're trying to get right with God. Because during this time, God is deciding what's going to happen to you in the next year. And on Yom Kippur, he has written it in the book of life and sealed it. So your fate is done for the next year. And, and so the book of life was a very important Term and a very important thing to the Jew, and Paul would have known this. So he's saying, These people are in God's book. These people are known by God. Help these two girls out. Now look at what Paul doesn't do. He doesn't pick a side, he doesn't say, You odea. You're being crazy again. You know, remember what, you know, Lucky's right. Let Lucky have her way. K. He doesn't take sides. He doesn't say that what they are arguing over isn't justified. He doesn't say what it is, but he also doesn't say You're, this is silly, because it could have been a really big deal. And he doesn't try to force upon them some false reconciliation. Get together because people are looking at you and and, and they know about Jesus because of how you act. What he tells them is to remember their phronesis. Remember the way in which to live, that mindset of Christ. You were out there spreading the good news. Remember that. Take this phronesis in, and the rest of you help them. The rest of you. Help them to deal with the problems that they're having. It's an interesting thing that that Paul does is he publicly calls these two women out. And if you look at his words, he says, I, I plead with you. I plead with you. I'm 1,200 miles away in Rome. I looked it up on a map. 1200 miles away in Rome, and your argument is hurting me. You are making a rip in the phronesis, in the body of Christ, because in Paul's mind, everything was connected. Everything was connected. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ in Philippi, then you are connected to someone in Thessalonica, in Ephesus, in Corinth, in Antioch, in Jerusalem. And when there is a tear in the fabric of Phronesis, I plead with you to work this out. I think it's so significant that in this letter from prison that he is writing to send back to his beloved Philippi, he calls these two women out and says, I plead with you. In Colossians chapter 1, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, Jesus Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. It is quite certain and clear in Paul's mind that God is in everything that God created all things through Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ all things are held together. So when there is a dispute or an argument going on in that fabric, it's connected. And Hebrews it says this, and through the son he created the universe. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. Paul is so desperately saying, we're connected. Fix this. Clement, my true yoke fellow, fix it. Get these two girls together. Grab success, grab lucky, get them together, and help them to focus on Christ. We all all get in these uh, arguments in our life, don't we? We all have times when we're when we get sideways with somebody, and we get into this little—I I, I don't know—we believe that we live on an island. That's the you know, the great lie of modern times: is that our life is the only life that matters? It is that we're individuals looking out for number one? And what Paul's saying is success and lucky. We were out there spreading the gospel message, telling everyone that God reconciles all things to Him, that God brings wholeness back to what is broken, and here you are breaking it. What does that tell the world? And He doesn't say, so make up, shake hands. He says, remember Christ. Remember this phronesis, this mindset of, of living and being through Jesus Christ. I'm going to skip forward, unfortunately. And did you already put the next one up? You can put the next one up because I like it. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. What Paul, what Paul talks about and what... Where he's going is, excuse me, it doesn't help if I turn when it's still right here. Uh, (laughs) What what this proverb is is talking about is, you know, there are some people that are just bad. There are some people that are toxic. In Titus chapter 3, Paul is talking about these people. If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning after that. Have nothing more to do with them. For these people have turned away essentially from God. They have their heart has been bent in another direction. And in Proverbs 17:9, love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. See, the people of Philippi would have known these scriptures. They would have been familiar with these proverbs. They would have been you know, countless times have they studied these things. And when there comes this disagreement in in Philippi, you know, there's a few avenues that they can go down. And, and Paul is trying to tell them to. To get that love in there. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. I don't know how many times I've chosen to hang on to something somebody's done to me. Like they've wronged me in some way and I've chosen to hang on to it. I don't know why. That's just our human nature a lot of times. Because it makes me feel better to not like them. It gives me power of the situation a lot of times. What the writer of Proverbs here is saying is that dwelling on it, We'll break things apart. You need to just step back and bring the love into it. I don't know what Euodia and Syntyche did. We never will. Maybe until we get to heaven and we're walking along the street and go, hey, success! What's up? Lucky? And ask them. And I think it's very important that Paul didn't say it. Because the point... Uh, The point of him calling them out wasn't to say, look how silly these two ladies are. The point of him calling them out in front of the whole church was to say, remember the phronesis. Remember that mindset of Christ. I wonder what Paul would write about us today. If he was writing back to the church at New Heights. Or if he called some of us out. Some of those things that we have going on in in our lives that that we need to remember the phronesis in our dealings, yeah, there's some relationship maybe that's out there, and, and we just we've gotten sideways with somebody and we need to begin to see these things through the lens of Christ, every interaction in our life. Everywhere we go, we are a representative of Jesus Christ. In all our interactions, business, family, friends, strangers, you are Christ to the world. That's what he's telling these two girls. You are Christ to the world. You have Christ dwelling inside of you. The Christ that we believe has reconciled all things will bring wholeness back to what is broken. Do we live our lives that way? I think we do for the most part. Boy, there's some areas where we don't. My prayer for all of us uh, to take from this is to remember that the world doesn't see things through the lens of Christ, but we do. And it should affect how we interact with the world. Remember your phronesis. Let us pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, we we thank you for your words that you've given us through your book. God, I thank you that you have given us the words of Paul and all of his writings and all of his dealings, the, the life of Paul for the ministry that he had that greatly affects us even today. God, I pray that as we move into this world as the as the representatives of Jesus Christ, as your people. God, help us to remember to deal with one another in a way that honors you. Help us to remember, Lord, that you bring wholeness to that which is broken. Help us to see that in our own lives, Lord. That where we are broken, you come in and bring wholeness. God, we thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Next week, we will be in here uh, again, and we will be doing, as Daryl said, the Corporate Worship Sunday, uh, where it's it's not going to be music the entire time, so don't be scared, even though I'm excited about it. Uh, It will be a a lot of different things. We'll have communion as well uh, next week. I know that's a different Sunday. We usually do it on the first Sunday of the month. Uh, So we're very excited about it. And again, as Daryl said, if you have comments, good or otherwise, Please come and talk to us about this. And uh, the emails, or email us, and go to the back. There's a laptop on that table back there. If you haven't added your email to our list, uh, you've been missing the New Heights uh, bulletins that have been coming out that Stacy's been doing. And we encourage you to go back, hop on there, and give us your email address. We promise we've only sold it to like 10 different agencies already. So no more, okay? We're not going to do it anymore. No, we're, we're not giving out your emails to anyone, and we won't inundate your inbox with stuff.